if you're making money already, save your money, put money aside specifically for investing. Definitely connect with the right people. There are a ton of guys out there who are willing to teach, you know, and willing to take mentees under their wings and intern them and show them the role. So definitely connect, network, talk to people. By that, I mean, don't just say, hey, how can I pick your brain? Those days are gone. You know, people's times are very valuable now. So you want to find a way to add value to people. Hey, you know, you're walking to an investor, you're like, listen, this is what I'm good at. This is what I can do. How can I bring those skill sets to your team to make it valuable for you? What can I take off your plate so you can really focus in on what you want to do, which is buy more buildings? And in return, teach me something. You're listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast. We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. And welcome to another episode of Gorilla State Investing Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Magarowski. And today I have with me a former wholesaler turned commercial real estate entrepreneur, Mark Caesar. Mark, thanks for uh, being on the program. Thanks, Brandon. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. So today we're going to have a free-flowing conversation to talk about what Mark has going on in real estate, his journey, um, maybe some of his pain points that he's seeing in this competitive market. So Mark, give us a rundown of what you have going on today. So today I am pretty much working on a couple of multifamily deals. Currently looking at a 29 unit out in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is um, rather a small deal. And I'm learning more about the market as Carolina is one of my uh, target markets right now that I'm really um, invested in. But I know from some research that uh, uh, Fayetteville actually took a downturn as far as employment and um, demographic trends are concerned. but Due to the lack of uh, building, the supplies of buildings being built up, but now there's there's a steady trend coming up uh, with the whole pandemic that happened. A lot of uh, Silicon Valley guys, New York City guys, from where I am, are migrating toward further towards the south. So that's actually bringing back upward trend in um, employment and um, you know foot traffic in those markets. So that's positive. Uh, that deal is is a pretty interesting deal. So there's a uh, if I remember correctly, numbers wise, they're about 90% occupied. Definitely need some form of um, repositioning to the interiors and the exterior of the building. And I think they're asking a little bit north of 1.5. And right now we're shy of 1 million. So we're trying to be more competitive with our offers because, again, right now this market is, especially this space, is very competitive when it comes to pricing due to the compression of cap rates and people, um, you know, institutional dollars and, you know, big, big sharks in the space are willing to overpay for properties. So that really puts a, a damper on, you know, mom and pop investors like myself who are trying to get into the space and get our first deal done. So we try to be more competitive as much as we can. Yeah, man, I can, we can attest to that too. So we're going into this as the future of us being apartment syndicators where we can go after those big 200 plus unit deals. But we know right now that, you know, there's some low hanging fruit that they tell us, you know, that 15, 20 unit, 25 unit apartment complex, but it's super competitive right now, even in those types of assets. 
And I think it comes down to the markets that we're choosing. So for us, you know, Jacksonville, the I-10 corridor, super competitive. So even when we're looking at a small deal and probably similar to what you're seeing up there in Fayetteville is, yeah, it's only 15, 17 units, but super competitive. We underwrite it. We're $500,000 below, you know, the asking. So in your underwriting, uh, what are you doing to try to get closer to that 1.5 without jeopardizing your uh, returns? We're looking at uh, places where we can decrease the the expenses and build up our NOI. So if it means, uh, you know, water conservation, um, you know, adding that into the budget where that drastically uh, drops down the utilities when it comes to water and sewers, which will help build, um, you know, cut that expense cost. That's something that we look into. We're looking for, we're not look, necessarily looking to cut corners, but we're looking where we can efficiently save money to make sure that we can get those re- projected returns that we're pitching to our investors. Is there a call to offer coming up soon on that one? Not as of yet. Uh, I've definitely got a call from the broker who wanted to get my feedback. So I, I definitely had to reach out to them sometime today. To So you got the deal from a, from a broker? Yes, I did. Okay, I got you. Is that how you're getting most of your deal flow? It's coming directly from brokers? Right now, yes. But I am definitely looking to start uh, marketing to mom and pop investors. As again, I think a lot of uh, syndicators are honing in on brokers and brokers are really targeting the people that they're familiar with and that they're closing deals with to provide those pocket listings. So have to think outside the box and really dig deep into my wholesaling um, um, bag and really just start doing the driving for dollars, the marketing to mom and pop sellers just to get those leads coming in. So without giving away too many of your tricks, you know what's what's kind of the top three ideas you have to market to those mom and pops? Because you were a former wholesaler and I'm assuming that was a lot of your work was getting on the phones in the email inboxes of these owners saying, hey, I want to buy your property. So what are you going to do on the uh, apartment side to those mom and pops to to get into their inbox or into their voicemail? Sure. Great question. So um, pretty much the same thing I did as a wholesale and residential side, uh, really pulling quality lists from places like CoStar and other um, large platforms that provide those leads and really uh, fine tuning those leads and making sure that those are, you know, mom and pop investors that has owned the building for a, a certain amount of time, I would say about five plus years, maybe seven plus seven more. And, you know, just building that report relationship, let them know that, hey, you know, I'm in this market. This is what I do. Talk to them, be personable and relate with them. And, you pique their interest to see if they're willing to, if there's a need to sell, if there's a desire to eventually sell and just keep that marketing aspect going. So eventually when they, when they do decide, Hey, we're going to sell, they'll remember that, okay, Mark approached us. He spoke to us, you know, he was relatable and we like what he's about. Let's give him a shot. Yeah. It goes back to that networking piece. And we found actually our team is about to close on a small deal down in South Louisiana in June. It's just an eight unit deal. But the way we found the deal was that we finally started telling people what we were up to. So my partner, Ramsey, just got online and said, hey, I'm, I'm getting into this apartment syndications. We're looking, after, we're looking for commercial multifamily properties. And a friend from high school saw that post, reached out to him and said, hey, my mom's trying to sell her eight unit down in South Louisiana. And again, we talk about the low-hanging fruit, right? We, we want to go after big deals, but the name of the game is cash flow, right? We want cash-flowing assets and them to be commercial multifamily. So anything above the four units, we want them to cash flow. And this property, we're going to get it at well under market value. 
in the in the hot market right now and it's going to cash flow for us. So as a team, you know, number one, we're not going to ignore those kind of deals. And number two, going back to the networking piece and what we're going to get into next with this GOB network that you have that you're involved in is so important just to get out there and tell people what you're doing. And that's going to lead to pocket listings and off-market deals like you wouldn't believe. So GOB Network. Um, I'm involved in this this Slack group. I'm on the Facebook group. I don't have as much time divested into you. So give me the rundown on this GOB Network. Sure. So GOB was created to uh, initially by the founder, Jim Biggs. Uh, he put together the space to really uh, get people on board where to help them get their first deal done. So it's like, a, it's pretty much a one-stop shop where you have everything, whether it's financing, sponsorship, you know, key principles, whatever the case may be. It's grown uh, tremendously over the last couple of months. So now we're really trying to debunk the myth that apartment investing is really for the big, for the big guys, the one percenters and, you know, average shows like myself can do it. And you don't really need to go after the 200, 300 apartment deals to get it done because that's what a lot of syndicators who come into the space, they really focus on. And leaving a very open market for minimal deals, the 20s to 50s or so forth. So as you mentioned, low hanging fruit, there are a lot of these deals out there. You just have to know how to, how to take them on. You just have to learn how to collaborate with other people and build that team and network to take it on. So that's what GOB actually provides. And again, it's a one-stop shop. So if you're looking for the, for the finance and for the deal, GOB can help with that. If you're looking for, you know, um, sponsors, uh, key principles, if you're looking for insurance guy, we have it there. So you don't have to really hustle and bustle at the last minute to try to find those key pieces. You simply just come into the group by invitation, of course, network and, you know, bring a deal and we'll try to, we'll collaborate with you and, you know, work until we can take it down. Have you seen deals uh, since you've been in the group that have you know closed inside the GOB network with this collaboration? Yes, I've seen plenty of deals that are being closed. Um, my deal right now, I'm actually bringing it to the network to try to find people in that uh, specific pocket market that I'm looking into to try to partner up with and take it down. Okay. What does GOB stand for? It stands for good old boys. The good old boys network? Little Boys Network. I got you. Okay. Is there is there females inside the network? There are a lot of females. So it's it's a uh, This is woke culture. This is woke culture. Well, people got to be upset about this. Well, <laughs> it's the the understanding behind the name is uh, again, it typically is the good old boys who really navigates the space. So Jim has tried to, you know, break that barrier where it's no longer the good old boys, but it's everyone that can partake in this space. Right. It's a cliche. The good old boys is just that the group of the right people, like-minded people together trying exactly. to accomplish the same thing. Correct. That's awesome. So are you one of the founders of GOB or you just joined it? How long ago did you join it? I joined the GOB early, uh, I would say mid-January this year. Mm -hmm. I am not part of the founding team. This has been... Uh, this predated uh, before I even knew about apartment investing. But I think that's the best move I've ever made. Um, again, I spent money on coaching, which which is normal. But coming into the space where I'm not dealing with gurus, I'm not being upsold on anything. It's just bring your deal, bring your hustle, bring your enthusiasm. Let's partner up. Let's make it happen. Yeah. So go back to you just mentioned that you you paid for coaching. 
was that mentorship or was that through the Michael Blank program? Which is that what you're talking about? The Michael Blank? Yeah, I definitely paid um for the Michael Blank um one-on-one coaching. Um, it was very good. I I won't you know say anything negative about it. It definitely gave me the A to Z script on apartment investing. Yeah. So uh, when I came into the space, I didn't know anything about it. As I mentioned before, I only thought you know apartment can only be bought by the top earners, the top one percenters, and after undergoing the program, I definitely learned that, hey, a regular guy like me, you know, regular nine to five, when I had one, I'm able to do it as well. So I learned, I've learned, uh, you know, the verbiage, how to speak with brokers, how to analyze deals, how to put, how to put the team together. So it was very beneficial. I definitely recommend coaching to anyone. You know, you do need coaching because it saves you a lot of money down the line. Yeah. I would recommend that boot camp scenario as well for you know, someone like you, you came from a wholesaling background, you wanted to get into apartment investing and you said, like me, I drive by these apartment complexes, you go, how the hell are people buying these? Like, do you think someone's just stroking a check for 30 million and saying, there you go? Maybe some of them. But for the most part, I was like, surely they've got to have some investors involved in this. And we came across the Neil Bawa uh, boot camp up in San Diego, California. And I flew up there with my partner, Ramsey. We did the two and a half day boot camp. And like you said, what it was, was the verbiage, everything you need to know from A to Z on how to do it. But for us, it, most importantly, it was the confidence to say, we can do this. Like this is very executable. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of effort, but this is very realistic for average Joe people like us that have smaller deals. We have some, you know, a three unit, a six unit here, a single family home here. And to go bigger, it's very doable. But and I, I kind of said this on one of my podcasts the other week. I was on this. This shit is hard. It is not. You go to these boot camps and they, sometimes they make it sound like, yeah, just take all this information and you'll be closing on something in three months. It, it doesn't work like that. And I think you can attest to that. Yeah. This is a long, this is a long haul for, for people like us, but I'm willing to take the ride. I think it's going to be super beneficial five, 10 years from now if you just stick with the plan that you have. Correct. I agree. Yeah, I'm just uh, just to add on to what you're saying. Um, you know, it's it's not for the faint of heart because I actually learned that um, Grant Cardone. Not to, I, I. Someone told me this not so long ago that it took him three years to get his first deal on the apartment side. So, you know, many people will find that hey, you know, it, if it doesn't work in one week or in a year, I just drop it. But again, multifamily, you have to you have to ride it out. You have to stick to it and keep doing what you're doing every day, be consistent. And eventually, you know, you'll strike gold. Yeah. And that's what I see. So you see on social media, like on LinkedIn and Facebook about closing, I just closed 150 units and 200 units. And you sit there and you go, man, how are these like, man, that's awesome. That guy must've just done that overnight. And it's like, no, you don't see the backstory of that. What, what it took for that team to actually be able to post that closing Correct. online, because it, it was, it could have been three years, five years, two years. And day in and day out of networking and putting in LOIs and getting rejected and putting in another LOI and getting rejected. Uh, so now when I see those posts and I understand it, I'm very congratulatory to these people because I'm assuming that there was a grind to get to that close. Exactly. I agree. Totally. Yeah. So let's dial back to your wholesaling days real quick. Um, what can you tell people about wholesaling? Why did you get out of it? Wholesaling, um, like why commercial real estate and why not just stick with wholesaling? Wholesaling to me is transactional. If that's something I never knew, no one ever told me about it. I 
decided to get into wholesaling to, I came in with little to no money. Uh, I wanted to be an investor and I didn't know what to do. So I heard wholesaling. So I YouTube wholesaling. I attended Rich Rich Dad, Poor Dad wholesaling. Okay, cool. So I just decided, hey, let's go wholesaling. Took me two years to get my first deal done. Um, Took a long time, a lot of effort, a lot of marketing. And again, throughout that process, no one has ever said, hey, this is a transactional business. It does not provide cash flow. And my ultimate goal was mailbox money, cash flow, passive income. And I quickly, you know, I've made money wholesaling. I, I've made, I've lost all fine and dandy, but it takes a lot of effort because again, you know, once you find a property, you assign your equitable interest to an investor, you're back to ground zero. So you're starting from scratch again. Now you have to start remarketing. You have to start talking to sellers and you have to start doing all that stuff. And it takes time and it's not, you know, People make it look easy. Again, as you mentioned before, people make things look easy when they post it online, but they don't really tell you, okay, it took me X amount of hours to get this. And I'm a firm believer. I want to do something in a short amount of time and get greater results opposed to, you know, just doing something, you know, for a crazy length of time and getting very minimal results. So I decided to pivot away from wholesaling because again, 2020 came, no one expected the pandemic to happen, and my business completely tanked. You know, leads were dry, people were not selling. It just got hard. And I had to really sit back and say, you know what? This is really a transactional business. I'm not making any money. I'm not bringing an income. I need to do something else that's going to provide for my family. I need to do something that's going to upkeep me and get me closer to my goal. And multifamily just really rang the bell. And everything just started pointing back to apartment investing. And I decided, you know what, I need to make that full-fledged, uh, take a leap of faith and immerse myself into it. And I did ever since. That's have, you, have you invested in any uh, apartment deals as an LP on the limited partner side? No, I have not. Um, again, I'm, I like to be active. And I've, a lot of people that I speak to, experienced syndicators, they always tell me, hey, you should invest as an as a LP because you get to see, you're, even though you're, you're not actively partaking the deal, but you see more from behind the curtain what's really going on. But I, I'm more of a hands-on guy. I like to get down and dirty. I like to really get to the nitty gritty. So I decided to become more active opposed to passive. Yeah. Well, our team's the same. Like, our team's kind of the same mentalities. We want to be on the GP side. We want to be active. We want to be running the business, running the asset management. But for me, it's more of a capital issue right now. I would invest as an LP, but the second that I invest my 50,000 or my 75,000 as an LP, I've just depleted the fund that I have set aside for my first deal as a GP. So it's kind of that balancing act. But we also have a partner on our team, Chris, that he's invested as an LP on seven or eight deals already. And he did the uh, Michael Blanc. No, he did Brad Summerock, the Brad Summerock boot camp, and that was three years ago. So he's been trying to land his first deal as a GP for three years, but along the way, he's invested in seven or eight deals as an LP. But he was able to do that because obviously there's some capital there for him to to give to those deals. But for our team and maybe for you as well, is I only have a limited amount of capital. I'm just a middle class working guy who saved fifty thousand dollars waiting for our first GP deal to take place. Would you say the same thing? I completely agree. I I wouldn't invest I wouldn't tell anyone to if you know you have it's take you for an example if it's your last $50,000 and you know you desperately need that to live. Emergencies happen every day. 
and you know you need that to survive i wouldn't say jump on as an lp because again you know your money's tied up you, you're not sure you know there's a lot of uncertainty so it's best to go on the gp side but if you have a comfortable cushion you, you know you have a hundred thousand dollars and you say hey i could forego fifty thousand fine do it you know you're still going to learn you're still going to be um you know see what's happening and again speaking with a lot of people in the space that's had that has started off investing as an lp there they always tell me hey listen i get a, i become a better uh, general partner just by being an lp because i get to see a lot of what's going on so now when i transition I know what to do, but for guys like us, again, you know, we're rebuilding where we don't have that, I guess, that safety cushion. It's best to just go in as a help as a GP and really learn and just, you know, grind it out and try not well, to make mistakes. But of course, if you have experienced people with you that will help you along the way as well. Exactly. So if I, if I have my $50,000 set aside for my GP pool and I give that to an LP group and then I get a deal under contract, and I go try to raise capital and that investor says to me, well, how much money are you putting in the deal? And I say none because I've already given up my money. That investor may not want to work with me. You know, we want to invest in our own deals to create confidence to that, that LP investor to say, yeah, these guys are putting money in it. I want to put my money into it. So that's just the position we're in. But I know there's a lot of GP groups out there that do do LP investments. And that's just because they have additional capital to do that. And I think Maybe in five to ten years we'll be able to we'll be able to play both sides of the fence on it, Mark. Correct. I mean, one one thing that I learned about that too, I, I learned this trick not too long ago. Um, when investors typically ask me that question, I let them know, yeah, I will have skin in the game. So my acquisition fee, instead of taking it and pocketing it, I just roll it right back into the deal, and mm -hmm. that's my skin in the game. So that's something that a lot of people don't mention, but I've I've learned that from a couple of um experienced syndicators, and they say, hey, just roll your money right back in there, and you're covered. Yeah. All right. Well, last few questions here for you. Just looking back on your your days when you were a wholesaler and then you went through the Michael Blanc program, you know, we're trying to get the truth out of what commercial multifamily investing really is. And, you know, there's a lot of fluff out there. There's a lot of hype out there that it's easy. So if you could give yourself some advice five years ago as a wholesaler, maybe there's someone sitting in the shoes listening that is in that position, what would you tell them now? Like what mistake, don't make this mistake now. And this is what you should probably look at doing. I would say if you're making money already, save your money, put money aside specifically for investing. Definitely connect with the right people. There are a ton of guys out there who are willing to teach, you know, and willing to take mentees under their wings and intern them and show them the role. So definitely connect, network, talk to people. And by that, I mean, don't just say, hey, how can I pick your brain? Those days are gone. You know, people's times are very valuable now. So you want to find a way to add value to people. Hey, you know, you, you'll, you'll walk up to an investor, you're like, listen, this is what I'm good at. This is what I can do. How can I, how can I bring those skill sets to your team to make it valuable for you? What can I take off your plate so you can really focus in on what you want to do, which is buy more buildings? And in return, teach me something. You know, I, I'll work for free if I have to. I'll grind. And eventually when people, when, you know, experienced people see that kind of determination and it's not just one way, they're willing to, you know, teach you and, and you know, give you whatever knowledge they have for free. So that's, that's definitely a, uh, something I would recommend as well. And also make sure that you're getting a coach that's not really 
that's that's tailor fitted to your learning style, but it's not just going to upsell you or just give you a piece of the pie and try to upsell you again the, the following month. Like, hey, we have a new program. You know, there's a lot of these, those out there. So you really want to do your homework and research on who you are looking to hire as a coach. And those are those are the crucial things that I would tell myself or anyone else uh, looking to get into the space. That's awesome, man. Where can people find you? You can definitely find me on LinkedIn, uh, Mark Caesar. LinkedIn.com slash Mark Caesar. I also host a meetup group every Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, called Financial Freedom Through Apartment Investing. As you can see in my background, we're a GOB affiliate. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, so feel free to reach me out. Uh, reach out to me. Email mcaesar50 at gmail.com. I'll be glad to answer any questions. I'll be glad to, you know, just share my knowledge and my resources. Mark, appreciate your time, man. All the best. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it, man. All right, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Learn more at realfocus.org slash gorillastatepod.